This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. Today's episode features an interview with Josh Golden, publisher and president of AdAge. Josh has also served in senior marketing positions at companies like Xerox and NBC Universal. In this conversation, Josh talks about keeping up with disruption, his experience working on the O.J. Simpson trial, and why marketing is more difficult than it has ever been. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have in an undisclosed, I actually literally don't know where you are. Lauren, where are you? Uh, I'm, I'm actually back home in San Francisco. I was in Sydney oh. 24 hours ago. And on the other line, Josh, what's going on? How are you guys? Nice to be on the nice to be here with you. I guess in some sort of ethereal plane, we're all together. So you have had a really interesting career, spanning film school, marketing, sales, advertising, strategy, agency side, chief digital officer, uh, a bunch of different things that we're going to get into here shortly. But first, like, tell me a little bit about your current role at AdAge. Sure. So I'm I'm the publisher and the president of AdAge, uh, have been for three years or just shy of three years now. It's a role that I, arguably, if you look at my entire history, which I have described at this point, or I'm, I'm working this out. I think I'm workshopping this. It, it's like I'm the Marco Polo of uh, marketing and advertising. <laughs> I've sort of, like I've touched on as many different, like I like this, I'm going to try publishing, now I'm going to try I'm going to try media, now I'm going to try agency, now I'm going to try the, I'm the brand side, I'm going to do it all. And of course, started off in film and TV, so I have the benefit of being in just about every area, I haven't. I don't think there's. I'm not. I'm sure there's still. I can explore more, but uh, I found that this role allows me to sort of coalesce all that experience from content creation and storytelling, and marketing and advertising and media all, all into one job. And I get to sort of be. I would arguably at the center point of where everyone's trying to sort of uh, understand and become an expert within. So I, while not being an expert, I get to talk to a lot of experts. And it's a fabulous role for me. And I'm truly enjoying the heck out of it. What's really interesting about, you know, I'm huge fans of AdAge. We are huge fans of AdAge here here at Mission. That is Um, awesome to hear, Ian. Yeah, no, we, I mean, we, we, we put a lot of stuff into, uh, into the marketing trends newsletter and, and in the, in our core mission newsletter and a bunch of stuff. What I didn't know though, is how old it was before, before the pod in, in our prep for this. Yeah. I, it's, it was remarkable. It was there something that when you joined, you kind of you know Took looked at this breath. and was like, "Wow, yeah, like holy, this is this has been yeah. around for a long time." It's not a joke. It's not a joke. I remember meeting with Rance Crane in my early uh, interviews as he was considering me for the role, and I was I told him quite openly, I was like, "Rance, I I think this job is fabulous, and I think I'm." totally the wrong person. <laughs> I literally, I'm, I'm going, I, I don't, I, I have so many things that I would want to evolve and, and grow and change. And, and your dad 
you know, G.D. Crane, you know, invented so many things inside of this, you know, this universe that are truly inspirational. And I used it in my early days of marketing when I was at YNR. Just like, how do, how do you do that? How do you even understand how to run an account and how to kind of grow a business? And AdAge was there for me every step of the way. And I believe it still serves this purpose today. The purpose is that people are uh, fearful of change. Status quo is the, is the enemy. And it is the thing that people want to sort of, well, just keep, let's keep going the way, let's keep going what we did last year. <laughs> let's just do that again. Yeah. And with this, the environment of disruption that we're living in, if you are not constantly, you know, looking at what are the things that are changing and how do I stay on top of it and where do I know what's coming next, you will lose. And it's really a, it's a binary thing that's happening here. And as you can tell, in the compression of the agency space and the, and the you know, growth into DTC brands, and I could go on and on. Uh, the things that are changing, the amount of disruption is just increasing. So ad age tends to be this beacon of information and insight and guidance that is overwhelmingly, I believe, uh, relied upon by this even, you know, executive levels down to the, you know, junior level marketing and agency and communication individuals to figure out what is important and how do I make sure I'm not, I, I at least know, give me that edge of, oh gosh, now I know, now I understand it. And I mean, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I've, I've been in marketing for 15, 16 years. And for as long as I can remember, AdAge has been the, the go-to place for where do you get real information? And now there's, I remember when tons of websites started popping up around marketing and advertising and media, but the, the level of actual quality and research and journalism on AdAge just really hasn't been, hasn't been replicated. And I love that you went into this role saying, First of all, like I'm not the right person. I'm not your guy. All the things I would change. I'm not your guy. Like, love you, not your person. Here's all the things I would change. Right. I mean, and and he was um, he was kind enough in our conversation. He was like, just because you know it's almost 90 years old doesn't mean that it isn't it's static. And this is a you know this came from a just shy of an octogenarian, and he said shared this with me. He's like, you have the kind of energy, and I was I'd never been so both overwhelming. I might got like both butterflies and wanted to vomit at the same time. He said, you you uh, he said you remind me a lot of the energy that my dad had, and he said we need someone to help steward this brand into its next century, and you need to help us get there, and it's been where it's been. And we know what it's been doing, but he's, he was saying very openly with me, we need to move it to its next, you know, to its next layer. And, you, and we need someone like you who is a digital native, who is, you know, not too old, but not too young. Although he, he never referenced age in my, in my particular conversations. I just knew that he knew that I understood digital in a way that he didn't. And then he, uh, he offered me the role and said, you need to do all the things that you're afraid of doing. You have to go do because this brand needs your energy and your commitment and your history. And I was the first person brought in from external. I was not a publisher or anybody who was involved in anything like that. I was, I'm a marketer. I just happened to dig this brand, like seriously dig it. And I, from how I speak about it and what I do and the amount of, you know, you know, things I'm able to sort of pull together, just like a, my fingertips are, I can, I can make anything. Let's go do this thing. People need it. Let's go make it. Yeah, I'm glad you referenced excitement. This is actually something that we've talked about at length uh, across our, our other mission properties in this podcast and a lot of our podcasts is about just like enthusiasm for the future. And I think that so much of 
the negativity that kind of ends up happening on social media or some of the kind of like fear mongering or things like that is just so counterproductive. Like you want people like if you're covering a tech beat, you know, you should be fired up about it. Like if you're covering advertising, you should be fired up about it. And that's how we feel about, you know, marketing trends is like celebrating what marketers are doing and the super hard but exciting jobs that they have. And like, you know, there's highs and lows and there's ups and downs. But at the end of the day, you are you have the ability to create a lasting impact. And I think that that's one of the things that people who are in the trenches kind of forget sometimes is that you can make things that last for 10 years, 50 years, 100 years. You know, you look at some of the creations by Guinness Book of World Records or things like that, that literally were created by marketers sitting around in a room saying, how do we do something cool that's never been done before? Do you feel like with your new role, or it's not new anymore, but um, with this role at Ad Age that you're finally starting to like see the chessboard in a way that you hadn't ever seen it before, see the different layers of what's going on and see information in a new way? I'm going to say, hmm, that's a great question. I'll give you, I'm going to give you an analogy. Do you know how to dance? Do you know how to, what's the, what's, give me something that's like uh, an art thing that you know how to do, Ian, that's something that's uh, hard. What's an, uh, like an art? Okay. Yeah, like what, an art form what? or something that's like, oh, it's not like I can do Excel, but even in that level, whatever. So okay. tell me something so, you do amazing. What's something, what's some, give me something you do amazingly. So I, I, this is a great question. I would not say that I am amazing at it. Okay. But I would say that I try really hard mm-hmm. to make painting work. I like self-taught by my good friend, Bob Ross. He mm-hmm. actually taught me. Um, no doubt. And so I've been working on it for like the past four years. And- um, Happy trees. What's up? Yeah, no, I'm, I love the happy trees. I painted like on an egg one year, all sorts of stuff. So I would say that I am a- Avidly getting better at painting. That's right. what I'll, I'll, so I'll say. My father happens to be involved, heavily involved for 50 years in, in, in painting. And uh, we talked about it a lot. Pain, pain, right. Yeah, this is the truth. And my, my analogy was, you know, do, am, I start, am I starting to see the, the chess board? What I'm starting to realize is that the chess board is extraordinarily complex. And I'm understanding much like painting, I'm understanding the process, I'm understanding the skills required, I'm understanding how to do a little bit of color mixing, but I could tell you that the amount that I don't know is now much more clear to me yeah. versus the amount that I know. So once you start to get into a thing, you think, I, you got to, you know, you ask an 11-year-old, how, you're, you're a pretty good tap dancer. You're like, I'm a best tap dancer in the world. Once you start to go deeper and you realize the amount that you don't know, it's like, wow, I really don't know a lot of things. So I, I always used to say, I'm an expert up to chapter four in any book. Yeah. Expert. I can nail it. I can, cr- you'd be like, oh my God, this guy knows everything about programmatic. He's like, Mr. Programmatic. And then you're like, well, tell me exactly how a DSP integrates with, a, with Google. <laughs> we, we should talk about another topic, I think. Uh, I have to be conversational about almost every single topic in marketing and advertising because the truth is, it's people. You're talking about culture. It isn't. It isn't necessarily like marketing is like. Oh, it's this. It's this thing you can buy. You can't. You have to. It's ideas. It's innovation. It's connecting with human beings. It's basically you know. A, it's a relational skill that you only have after doing it for a while. And as you do it for a while, you're like wow, there's a lot more to learn. So am I? Am I seeing the chessboard? Definitely more. I can see more of the chess moves. I'm thinking maybe one or two moves ahead, but I'm definitely nowhere near to saying I'm like, I know everything. When I started off my career in film and TV and I was in um, 
I don't, this is not in my, I don't, I don't write about this much. So maybe you didn't find this, but my first big thing that I worked on was on the OJ Simpson trial. Brother, we had it coming is the <laughs> next question. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'm sorry. For I'll back product, up. Why don't you, you go ahead. Yeah, no, it. I got you. I got you. I got you. I'll set you up. I want to, um, I want to know, first I want to know how you found it. Okay. Go ahead. No, it's, it's, it's coming next. I, and I wanted to just finish a thing on the chessboard thing. Yeah, please. Um, I think that one of the things that people don't understand about kind of like the media world is that like we like we always compare it here with with building the mission as like you're playing 20 games of chess at the same time okay, and you need right. to realize that like there's certain ones that you're going to lose you're not going to win every game but you have to keep pushing all the different pieces forward and I think that in marketing a lot of the marketers that we talk to kind of think of their campaigns the same way where it is all of these different things that they have working that some of them are going to lose and you want to basically win as many as you can. But the idea is like you have to keep moving the pieces forward and, and playing them so you don't time out at any given time, which is extremely hard to do. And I think what's so cool about media and this new thing, this new world that we live in is that and what's so exciting is that for someone like yourself who's so creative, you can create anything. Like yeah. you you just you you wake up and you just say, you know, the the good idea fairy strikes and you're like, "Hey, we should make this. We should make that." Yeah. Um do it's you generally, feel the, generally in the shower is my best idea. Like, "Oh, I got a thought." And I, I oh, wish I there was a white, I wish there was a whiteboard for the shower. They should have come up with that. We're making uh this is bra- little mini breaking news for for marketing trends fans. Right. Uh we're we making merch right now. And so we're making all these like funny t-shirt designs, all this sort of stuff. And like literally we're thinking of them in in the shower. So I'm right there with you. But one of the things that, you know, to bring this back around. So one of the things that's so exciting is like you can literally make anything. And you spent the beginning of your career, you were a product manager for DQ Squared. I was. And director of TV production on a video that I think is pretty unique and interesting. Do you want to share that with the listeners? Yeah, I, well, it was it was uh, about forty. It was like forty eight videos for the O.J. Simpson trial in the early nineties. It was a f- crazy, crazy time in my life. I had just come out of film school, and I was hired because they wanted someone who they didn't know what the word was, but they wanted someone who could concept, shoot, edit, and deliver. <laughs> Basically, drive to the courthouse. The one man um, band. One man band. The what they call now a predator, but I don't even know what that was. I think it's a little one, more than a predator. So I had the I had the benefit of working with Marsha Clark for eighteen months and working through every single video and photo that needed to be captured to tell to effectively tell that story to the jury. It was a crazy time. I was asked to shoot at the the Rockingham Estate because they wanted to show for the jurors rather than taking them all there what the house was like. And I had to do, I, they wouldn't let me go unless there was three or four people from the prosecution and three or four people from the, from the defense both there. And I'm not certain if you're ever familiar with film, film work, but if, as you're shooting, I had to do a, a 360 of, the, of a room. And the only way to do a 360 is to have everyone sort of slowly shuffle behind you yeah. uh, to do it. I'm literally 21. I'm, I'm a baby. And I was like, guys, I, I I need to do a 360. And I said, can you all, <laughs> could you all step into that closet? <laughs> oh and they, they, so they were, they hated one another. They were, they were, it was you know, like virulent. They were just so angry with one another all the time. And they had to stand nose to nose with each other in the, in a walk-in closet. There was like 12 of them. And I closed the door and I did a full pan and I stood there for just 
eight seconds. And I looked at the painting that was on the wall and I stood there and I thought, yeah, this is it. This is the moment that I will think back, but this is the craziest moment I've ever had. That's, I mean, it's unbelievable. And it's such a crazy start to a career. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of these things that is so fascinating to look at the start of people's careers and what threads they carry with them. Because if you've been on the creation side, when you go work for the publisher, you know, however many years later, or when you go work for the agency, or when you go work for the company on the operator side, you know what it takes to do these different levels. And you're like, Hey, that whoever did this shot had to get a 360. They might have had to shove 12 people in the closet. Like we can't. Right. We can't imagine how that would be done. Right. There's also a very tremendous danger of being, I I really try to be like, you know what? I probably don't know everything anymore about how to make these things happen. But as a, as an editor for, I don't know, three years of my career, I don't go over to my, although I do, I'm sure. uh, I walk over to the edit staff, uh, sorry, the, the video edit team, you know, and I just tack, you know, ask them just a curious little, do you think we could make this a little different? And, and only because I hope that they like me enough to let me bend their ear for a second. But I think that I always act with as much humility as I possibly can, because I know that they know best to do about their crafts. But, you know, 20 years ago when I had to cut it, like when it was film, you know, it was certainly much more difficult to make edits. But now I had benefit, of course, getting into computers editing as well. But I really feel a tremendous sense of kinship regarding anybody who's doing a creative development piece, both how do you do it? What is it going to be the process to make it happen? How difficult will it be to actually get it done? So when I when I do tend to ask, I, I, I kind of know, like I know it's going to take forever to do this, but can we do this thing? Do you think that marketers and advertisers have advantages now that, you know, back in the day we've never had? Or do you think it's easier to make, you know, memorable ads or but more noise? Like where do you kind of fall on this spectrum of how marketers have, you know, skills and a toolkit now that they might not have ever had before? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to say I think it's harder than it's ever been. The noise factor and the micro-influencer and privacy, uh, the data factor. I mean, all these things that realistically, if you're thinking about the 80s or the, you know, the, even the 90s, it did not have the same difficulty. You know, Olympic diving, you know, you could do your standard jump off the, you know, off the 30 meter and just go in well. That was pretty simple. But now it's like, you know, triple back twisting, you know, it's impossible what I can see get done. And now I think when I think about the marketers that I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm relating to on a day-to-day basis, as I'm talking about all the things that are going on from a from their brand's perspective, they're dealing with such complex issues, which I'm, I'm guessing there's always, a you know, as a corollary, you know, it's not like it's it suddenly gets impossible, but it, it was probably difficult at some time as well. But I think it was just a little more basic less there were less variables i'm guessing yeah now there's so many more things you have to know and have to be aware of and because you can get in serious trouble like this is not just like whoops we messed up and now it's a bad ad you can get i mean obviously the tenure of the cmo is is still you know low and it's very hard to be good and fast at at a big job and you know, I truly believe that you have there's two options in the world of marketing. Either you get promoted or fired, and that's it. Yeah. That's and it happens in 27, 28 months. So you gotta figure it out fast and have, you know, this sort of brand impact as well as sales impact. 
And, the, you know, the amount of conversations I've had that use the word MQLs and SQLs has been increasing three or fourfold. I'll, I'll describe it just in case someone doesn't know what it is. I'm sure they all do. Um, MQL is a marketing qualified lead, meaning I know that someone's actually interested in hearing about our product. So they are someone who was like, yep, I'm interested. And then an SQL is a sales qualified lead, like an actual salesperson has said, not only they're interested in hearing about the product, they're actually interested in, they're in the purchase window. And it isn't just awareness anymore. Now it's, I need to know I'm getting to the right people. So account-based marketing has become sort of the de facto standard. So you can imagine switching from, hey, I'm going to do this great ad about Mean Joe Green for Coke uh, or with Mean Joe Green for Coke. And it's going to have this emotional impact and have a tremendous storytelling impact and allow our audience to connect with the brand in a very serious way. And I don't believe, I could be completely wrong, but that ad is made, is designed to evoke a emotional connection with the brand. So much work that a marketer has to do is that emotional connection in combination with an actual heavy working, heavy lifting piece, an asset that is so hard to make happen. I mean, it's mostly impossible. I, I mean, if you kind of do the look at the, the Super Bowl ads that we saw this year, just talking about advertising only, it is really hard to see, but like, what's, what's the impact for sure? Like, what do you know you're going to get with that? You know, with the $5 million you're going to spend and plus the 3 or $4 million in production. It is hard. So I would say that the noisiness is making the job much more difficult than it has been. Right. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about that, the, this idea of sort of storytelling with marketing, with advertising and Coca-Cola and other brands building these sort of deep emotional connections. And then you have the, the other side of the spectrum where, you know, to your point, the average tenure of a CMO is incredibly short. You're going to get fired or you're going to get promoted. That's you honestly it. may get promoted and then a month later get fired because that is – par for the course, unfortunately. Not for you, Lauren. Not for me. You never get fired. No, um, I do to go surfing now. So that's my... Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're close enough. You're close enough to the coast to do it. Exactly. So if I think about, we have these CMOs and marketing leaders who are just like hit over the head on performance all the time. But then we are also trying to build these deep emotional connections uh, as marketing leaders do you see a, a good convergence? Do you see the sort of the pendulum leaning one way or the other for marketers in the industry? Towards – give me the pendulum if it was oh, – Sorry, it was, between yeah. the – let's have these deep emotional connections and these big brand storytelling. And then you have the other side where it is pure performance and marketers are measured on pure performance, but you're not getting the – they're right. not always judged on the storytelling and the, uh, the emotional impact. Yeah, I would say, oh, it's tough. I'm going to say the answer is definitely yes. You know, it's you have to be able to try to do both. I, from what I can tell, a lot of the big brands are in the at least the consumer space. They're definitely working down the I want to make people feel good about Samsung. I want to make people enjoy their Amazon, you know, Alexa. There is something definitely to, to – there's storytelling and, and obviously humor that's used heavily to engage. But then if you go down the funnel and you raise your hand and you've gone onto the Amazon site and you're checking out the Alexa, which one you, which one you should buy, you then receive retargeting ads and there's performance-based marketing that switches on to sort of do the other side of the funnel. So you have to be an expert in the storytelling piece and making people connect with it because that will you know, obviously increase the likelihood of re remembering a brand name. 
to move you into the sort of the purchase and consideration set, which then drives actual acquisition. That, if you're not at least <laughs> definitely thinking about both, you can lean more on one or the other. I see the car companies a little bit more are focusing, obviously they have a, a lot of, you know, much more like it's awesome to drive this car to get you to sort of just consider the test drive because once – from things that I've read, once you get into the actual dealership, it's you're highly likely to buy something versus, you know, it could be another car as well, but highly likely to buy something. I think that the storytelling that's happening right now on the consumer side is enormous. On the B2B side, it's all about the – well, it's still connecting with the brand, of course, knowing that a brand exists. And then it's it's much more on the, uh, the, the you know, account-based marketing focus. Which is reasonable. I think if you have to, you have to know the pendulum itself. It does the whole reason why there's the analogy of the pendulum is it does swing. You have to be able to do both sides of that for sure. How much do you think we live in our own echo chamber? Because I think, you know, specifically we look at like awards. Awards, I think, is one of these things that like we want so bad to get recognition for a job well done as marketers and like for example we won an award for one of our podcasts it was really cool we were really happy to win it we got a lot of good feedback from the audience we took that to one of our customers and they're like that's really cool and that was kind of it right like the customer's like yeah that's great but like (laughs) what are the results right and i think that that's a lot of the same experiences that marketers have with leadership is like check this out this ad did really well, or this was super popular, or this campaign was super popular. And the CEO or whoever, the board is just kind of like, yeah, that's great. But like, we're not paying you to get out awards. We're paying you to drive business results. Do you feel like sometimes we might get caught up in kind of the moment of the art of this and forget the science? Or is the other side of this like trying to explain to leaders like no the art is the thing the story is the thing that people will actually remember that will stick with people for years and years the jingle that they hear that they heard on the radio for 10 years is the thing that they will remember like the art part of this is so important how do you kind of see that like echo chamber playing out yeah i mean i think that in the world that we all live you have your your environment your community where where you live and whom you how you surround yourself, I think really the echo chamber is a major, major challenge, which I, I always suggest, you know, stop doing the thing that you're doing for a couple of days, whatever it is, and go try a different way of interacting with human beings and seeing how that, see how that goes for you because it will in, enlighten you like, oh, there's a whole other way to do this and I didn't recognize it or ask colleagues and friends about how they're doing it differently. I think that's a really important point. I do think from an awards perspective, because they're so Marketers in particular, me included, uh, love to be recognized. Um, when you called and asked to do this podcast, I was like, wow, I'm, wow, that's really – I hate the idea of doing a podcast about me at all. But I, I, I love the idea that I was considered to be important enough for you to, to, to be on the podcast. So it's a kindness that you offered that made me feel good. So same thing happens with awards. That is a, wow, this is great work. Your peers thought it was amazing. It deserves an award. And there are, you know, our A-list and creativity awards, which are very well, very well respected. And it's the first of the award season, though it tends to sort of have a hint at what things are going to be big for the remainder of the year from the work that was last year, you know, through and into can. So it's very, very important. When I was on the agency side, the things that we saw and that we had data to support was the more awards that we won, was the more times that we got called increased the call quantity, increased the incoming because we were able to say definitively winning an award 
gets us visibility via earned media, and that earned media is you know is invaluable. And especially if it's highlighting something that was you know like wow, we did a great campaign. Someone else sees the work and they're like, oh, get me, get me Susie Cream Cheese. She did a great job. They want that kind of they want that experience. They want the the capacity to engage with a mark with a with an agency that has received accolades for their work because similarly for when they say who they just hired, they want to make sure that their boss goes like, why would you hire? Why would you pay them a million dollars? Well, because they just won these sixteen awards. Oh, got it. Check. Well, I mean, and I think that the other piece of this, like from the non-agency side, that I think is really important is. When Susie Cream Cheese, uh, which like might that be name? yeah, like that's that name. I use Joey Bag of Donuts and Susie Cream Cheese. It's my favorite two characters at this point. I, love I do, ro- I do rotate though. But when somebody like on the non-agency side wins an award for something, I think that you know the currency that you go to your leadership team and say, "Hey, we won the award," and they go, "Yeah, well, what business results?" And they go, "Ah." It did have business results. It helped us with recruiting marketing talent because it's really hard to get good marketers on your team. And when you're the type of team that wins awards, people want to be on winning teams. So although it might not have driven the business results as directly as we like, we could have measured it, it did help us get, you know, Joey Bag of Donuts uh, mm-hmm. to be our, you know, digital marketing manager. And that exactly. was a huge win for our team. And I think that sometimes it's about positioning what the type of currency that you want. We have an upcoming guest that has a YouTube video that I think has like 100 million downloads uh, at one of the one of the like super viral successful marketing wow. campaigns. Yeah, he's coming up on it. Should coming up later. <laughs> What's up? Coming up later is yeah right. Uh, future episode Ben Crane. But yeah, I, I think that like that currency of like okay, well you know hey we got 100 million people that watch this and that's really cool. That currency may or may not, you know, directly impact sales. If you're a B2B company, that might not actually matter that much because you have a hundred target accounts. But I think that just knowing what type of thing that they can have multiple uses and that there's other ways to promote it, I think is part of the point. And I think that there's a morale piece is like when you're doing stuff that's creative, that's winning awards, it feels good. Your team feels good. And that is an important thing as well. It's not as reductive as like, it has to always impact the bottom line. And that's kind of back to the chess analogy is, you know, when you have a whatever, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know anything about chess, but uh, like the four move checkmate or whatever it is or seven move or whatever. Mm-hmm, when, that's you, awesome. when you right when you do that, you're that like, one. hey, this is sweet, right? Yeah, I totally won. I think that's the uh, I think that you're right. I think sometimes you can make the error in judgment and thinking that the goal is business results always back to chess, of course. It's not always winning. It's, it's not always going to happen. But doing better than you did last time is a, is a win. And having better talent, having a, an organization that feels good emotionally, that's invaluable. To say that you've won as a team, that brings a team up 30% in, I'm guessing, but the happiness level increases you know, enormously. And then for that, for that month, you're like, yes, we won that thing. And then you have to figure out the thing is the next thing you're going to win. And having those string of wins eventually yields business results. I would say that definitively, but you can't just say, I'm looking for one big thing to have the business results. And that is my hope always. You can't immediately jump to business results. That's why I think winning anything is amazing. Yeah, and I, I would I would add a final piece onto that is that marketing is always a long term thing. A lot of times you have to hit short term results. You have to have certain 
milestones and targets, but racking up wins, like wins beget wins. And I think that that's one of the things for marketers that, you know, we've talked about is so important that, you know, first 27 months, but also you have to have a long-term mindset. And the more campaigns that you can associate with different types of wins and get your team fired up, otherwise you just show up every day and your team is just, okay, well, uh, this kind of uh, onto the next, onto the next, onto the next. There's always going to be, you know, a thousand more campaigns that you have to do. And you have to kind of take a second and a step back and just say, hey, we did a great job on this. You know, you might not win something from, you know, a film festival. That's okay too. You know, it could be a win that maybe somebody reaches out to you and just say, hey, I watched this ad and it just, it moved me in a way. Like those smaller wins are something that's super important to share. Yeah. It's not just, you know, some, some third party saying, you know, stamp of approval that you can throw on the website. Totally agree. Okay. Lightning round questions. Lightning round is presented by our friends at Pardot because it's a lightning quick experience. Fast and easy questions in the lightning round, just like fast and easy B2B marketing with Pardot. First question. Are you ready? I'm totally ready. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? I feel like when I'm getting on the train and I'm going between work mode, which is so intense to come back home into Westchester. I've found that there's a like a like a basically blip breakout except reverse with gravity <laughs> and I'm finding it extraordinarily relaxing like it's my meditation for 20 minutes that I just do it's very I feel silly playing a game but it is extraordinarily calming for me because I'm so high energy at work that I need that I'm coming I'm going back you know to be with my family and I can't be like where is the where is everything <laughs> so it is a moment to relax I love it favorite vacation spot I'm going to say, oh, goodness. Okay, so uh, my, my, my sister-in-law is from Indonesia, and I had the benefit of going to Bali. This is going to sound very luxurious, but I did, I did go. This is, I've been there four times. And Bali is where I believe the intersection between the earthly plane and the heavenly plane exists. So when you die, you actually just go to Bali. <laughs> um, this I've heard place, it's, it's just the people are so wonderful and the language is phonetic, so you can kind of semi-read it. And the art is amazing, and the environment there, it's from from the volcanoes to the beach to the, just the feeling, it's just so, uh So, and all, the best part, of course, you can't go to Bali for shorter than, I don't know, you have to go for a while because it's all the way around. If you go further around the earth, you're actually closer. So it's a fabulous place. So Bali, for sure. I would go with Ubud if I had to see if you a city. That sounds very, very overwhelmingly luxurious, but it is awesome. <laughs> and I think um, we are all now super excited to go to to go to Bali. And if mm-hmm. Bali Tourism wants to come and help, yes, yeah, hey. sponsor, sponsor, also Love all three, it. we have to go. That's the way, that's the rule, though. We all three have to go and just sort of talk about the what we see there. Hey, marketing trends, marketing trends on the road. Don't twist Lauren's arm; she will fly <laughs> anywhere in the world at, at Clearly. the drop of a hat. Clearly. There's actually amazing yoga and surfing in Bali, which are both kind of my thing. See, check and check. Do I need to say, need I say more? No, no. I think we just need to figure out when we're all going. Got it. Okay. My turn for lightning round question. Um, What is your favorite book you've read recently? I had the benefit of, gosh, there's two that I really would love to mention. Do I, can I, can I, can I use two? Of course. So Beth Comstock had the benefit of working with Beth for... Oh gosh, I was at NBC. And when I saw that she was releasing her book, I, I immediately bought it, pre-ordered it. And uh, hearing, her, hearing her tell her story was just so wonderful. 
to hear her tell her story, eh? But also knowing the kind of person she is, it's rare that you get to know an author as well as read their book. So I kind of like that. And uh, and she turned me on to to when, uh, because I started following her as well, uh, Daniel, uh, gosh, I can't remember his last name now. It's horrible. Um, Daniel Pink? Or? Yes, Daniel Pink. And just knowing what kind of person I am so that allows me to what operational style I'll have during what times of day. But that was really helpful for me to know when I should be doing what I should be doing. I love those two. So, and obviously, as our listeners know, Beth was uh, was a guest about, I think, like 15 episodes on Marketing Trends. She is all time. We should do another whole episode on that time at NBC Universal because her stories oh, are crazy. So good. So good. The fact where she, what she did and how I mean, she doesn't get a whole lot of credit for for this because she was only she was in in and out you know for three years or so. But you know, from the digital digital marketing stand up, which I was a part of, to the to Hulu, she basically turned you know NBC Universal into a much more digitally focused company, which I thought was really amazing. So she said on the podcast that the closest she ever got to getting fired was because of the Hulu thing. Oh yeah. But I I actually didn't know that part. I missed that part of the podcast. But look look at it now. I mean, she saw into the future and she was like, I know this is going to be something. And eventually cable connection is not going to matter as much as the content. And we should do a partnership to pull it off. And it happened, which was great. Final question of the lightning round. What is your best advice for a first time CMO? I'm going to use a skiing analogy because we've been using a lot of analogies today. When you ski, if you're afraid to fall while you're skiing, you lean back and it inevitably makes you fall because <laughs> you're not using the control of the ski. If you have to, you actually have to lean down the hill. Not so far that you're out over your skis, but to, to, you have to push. And I think that first-time CMOs, of course, they're, they're not a non-marketer. They know what to do. They know how to push, but they have to really push and playing it safe doesn't doesn't get you a win. It gets you, yeah, you're fine. It doesn't get you that real sort of movement. CMOs inherently want to be extraordinarily successful, and they are they tend to push hard. But first time CMOs might be a little bit more tentative and risk averse. In this job in particular, I have had to push what I'm comfortable doing, but I know in my heart it's the right thing to do. But it's hard. It's hard to get everyone to sort of see it the way that I see it. And I think that first-time CMOs could benefit from sort of realizing that the only way they will be successful is to push. The Josh, second thing, a, that, well, oh, no, one more ahead. piece. I want to add yeah, one yeah, more no, piece. Like, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a B part of that is the you're really good at what you're good at. And I genuinely believe in you cannot be amazing without surrounding yourself with a team to fill in your pieces. You know, my wife is my perfect partner. She criticizes delicately, but she helps me to figure out the areas that I'm not, I'm, I didn't know that. I didn't see that blind spot. And I, I've relied on the same kind of, the same kind of partnerships at work as well, making certain that I have people who I deeply trust and inherently believe in that they know it better than I do. So you have to be willing to push it and you have to be trusting your team to help you sort of get there. I love that. I love both of those. And, uh, and, and shout out to all the partners out there who have a, uh, crazy marketing significant other because um, no right <laughs> you, have to, you have to uh survive through the squint the swings that's it for the lightning round anything else before we before we hop off by the way you can find josh at joshua j golden on the twitters he's a great follow she should check that out anything else before we get out of here 
No, I, I got to tell you, I, I really appreciated the fact that I was being interviewed. Uh, I try to really avoid it, but uh, you, somehow, whatever you did, your magical, your ma- I think it might have been the Beth, the, the Beth interview that really convinced me that I should get myself out there and start to talk about the things that I think about. So I really want to thank you for having me on. And this was extraordinarily fun for me. Awesome. Love to have you back. And, uh, and we'll, be in, we'll be in touch because uh, this was just awesome stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.